You're listening to an encore presentation of Faith and Family. Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. It is a great day here in the studio. We get to share missionary stories. I love doing this. I love talking to our missionaries, hearing about how the Lord is uh, using them to bring the good news of Jesus in all parts of the world. Uh, First up, we're going to talk with friends serving the Lord in Ghana, West Africa, and then we'll talk with uh, Sarah, actually gets gets in the studio and talks with one of our friends serving with Lutheran Bible Translators. Hope you can stick around for both conversations, learn how our Lord is using our missionaries to bring that good news of Jesus to souls around the world. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the sponsor section. There you'll find the CUW logo. Joining me in studio today, the Castor family serving the Lord in Ghana is the Reverend Dale Castor. Pastor Castor, welcome. Hi, thank you. Glad to have you in studio today and your lovely wife, Suzanne. Suzanne, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for joining me in studio today to uh, to share about your life serving the Lord in Ghana. Now, uh, when did you start thinking about serving as missionaries, when did that even cross your mind that it might be a possibility? Well, oddly enough, it was quite some time ago when, when I left the seminary, uh, there, we were talking about, it. we were in conversation with the uh, placement committee about perhaps uh, serving as missionaries. But my wife, you know, we were a young family. She's pregnant with her first child. And she said, please, not now. <laughs> <laughs> so so we we, forced, we forewent that. And, and I was a parish pastor here in the States for 24 years. And, and then um, afterwards, when I got the, the connection to, mm-hmm. to do mission work, uh, my wife was like, okay, now's a good time. <laughs> now's, see, the kids are out of the house. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> when oh, the, the, the timing seemed to, to be better for your family. And so when you first started talking about it, what did the rest of the family think when you were talking about moving uh, to serve as missionaries, perhaps you didn't even know where you were going to serve at that time. They weren't surprised. and They they knew missions were always part of my heart. I mean, I, I've always been involved in some sort of mission work, even on a local level, uh, even as, as a high schooler. So it, they weren't real surprised at the whole thing, but they were very supportive and they still are. Uh, of course, they didn't know where Ghana was, as most people don't, um, but they've been very supportive still. Now, Dale, where did you grow up? Where where what's most likely home here in the United States? What what where I consider home where I grew up is Northern Virginia outside of DC. I, I grew up actually in the Air Force early on, so uh-huh. we moved around a lot and I think that's helped me a lot with my mission work that I'm used to getting around and making new friends wherever I go. Um and my wife grew up there too. So we grew up together actually at the same church. Aha, uh-huh, so that's how you knew each other. Yeah. No, yeah. we grew up We've known each other since 1975. So, so you've traveled around a, a couple of places, served a few places here in the United States, and then uh, have gone to serve the Lord in Ghana. When did you find out that Ghana would be your assignment? Um, we found out around, um, wasn't it October 2013? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in October 2013, they said uh, they were going to put us in, in Ghana. What is uh, what is your your task? What is the the work before you? What's the the chief work of the mission there in Ghana? 
My work is to train uh, Native church leaders uh, and to bring them up to the level of ordination. Uh, many of the men in northern Ghana, um, they're not capable of going to the seminary in Accra for any number of reasons, uh, including family or agricultural or, or even educational. Uh, and so what we do is we bring the seminary to them. And, and we train in four areas, four, four cities. Um, one is Baku, one is Pumprugu, one is Bapaba, and one is Bintiri. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and so we come into those areas for short-time training, kind of intensive two-week training sessions. So you have some travel to do then even there. Yes. Yeah, we travel around in the northeast corner of, of Ghana. And so you're training, raising up these leaders within their own communities to, to serve as future pastors in, in their congregations. Correct. They're already, many of them, serving as leaders in their own churches. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these, uh, you can't even call them churches. They're, they're preaching stations, little little groups of people that are gathering on Sunday. And, and, and this uh, church leader will, will literally do the sermon. You know, he will come mm-hmm. and lead a, a, a sermon and prayers. And, and so we're giving them more tools to be better at it and ultimately to make them pastors. What does, how would you describe the church in this part of Africa today? You know, it's, it's, uh, in Ghana, it's, it's, it's a church that is, um, very challenged. It's challenged by, uh, traditionalism, African traditional religion, you know, and it's tr- obviously uh, challenged by Islam. And and let me just say this: I know Americans we hear challenge of Islam, and we usually think violence. It's not the case in Ghana, but it's still a very strong, strong presence. The town in which we live in Tamale is eighty to eighty-five percent Muslim, and and there's a strong tradition of Islam there. And and to bring the gospel to Muslims is it's a challenge. I mean, I. We, we put it in the Lord's hand. We trust the Holy Spirit to do it. And and the other thing is this sort of a pseudo-Christianity, a, a prosperity gospel that is uh, preached wide and far in Ghana. Those are the big challenges. And because of that, you know, the church, when we teach so often, the churches are asking us questions about those things. They're, they're saying, well, why do we not do such and such? And why do we not believe such and such? And, and so... Uh, our our training is very pertinent, very timely to, to who they are and what they're dealing with. What about those who, the, the faithful who are there, this this church that, uh, as I hear, is growing? Mm. The, is it a growing church? It's growing. It's not, you know, the numbers that you see in like Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Um but but it's growing and it's and it has strong areas. Um, it, it is a very deep roots in the uh, area of the Bamoba tribe, which is the town of Bumprugu and the surrounding areas. It's very it's where the first work was done in mm-hmm. Ghana, and and so it's kind of you might say the mother church of many of the other ethnic churches. There's 72 languages in in Ghana, you know, so you have 72 ethnic groups basically in a ta- in a country the size of Oregon, and and so all of these churches that are becoming Lutheran are you know the, as the Lutheran church grows, they they owe their they're kind of their, they're looking back to the Bamobas. 72 languages. Yeah. How, yeah. What challenges does that present for you and for the church, particularly in in training and raising up these leaders? Yeah, that's that's a big challenge. Um, you know, when we come into an area to train, 
Uh, we always have a local pastor uh, come along with with us, and uh, and it depends which area we're in. They all have kind of various levels of um, English proficiency. Some areas there's not very good English, and so literally everything we say is translated. In other places, uh, there's much better English and not as much is. So so it's just a challenge that we have. I mean, we have four ethnic languages, and, and as trainers and my partner there, I want to give a shout out to him too, is Mark Moss. He's up there in Tamale with us working. I mean, he and I, there's no way we can learn four ethnic languages and train in them. So we're very much reliant upon these uh, local pastors to help us in our training. Oh, that was my next question. Who do you partner with? I mean, I know that you're busy traveling and teaching, but th- I'm sure that, that, that there are partnerships that, uh, that work together to support the the church so that the gospel is proclaimed there. Yeah, we 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 are partnered with Mark and Sue Moss uh, who just came onto the field back in May of this March. year. March, I'm sorry. March of this year. Uh and uh That's your fact checker. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> um and and they've been a big help to us too. I mean, they, to have somebody carry the weight with us has been a been a real blessing. Is this you know, is there, are, are you? Do you have to follow in someone's footsteps? Is this new ground for us, or how do you learn what you're, you know, what you're supposed to be doing and, and go about it? You know, some of it is ground that's already broken, and you have to and you have to follow um, some of these people. They they have a lot to say to us. I mean, later you're having Sarah Esla on, um, uh, Nathan, her husband was a real groundbreaker in in the uh, Comba area, which is, uh, he was in the town of Naswan, just north of Bintiri, where we train. And so, you know, we thank God for his work. I mean, if it wasn't for, for Nathan, uh, they wouldn't have a, a New Testament in their language. And so, you know, we're very much reliant on the work that went on ahead of us. Or, or Carl Rockroar, he, he too did some work in the Comba area. And there's been a lot. I mean, I could just name name after name after name I've heard uh, from... Uh, the local pastors there who who know the missionaries who have worked there. So yeah, we're very much reliant upon them. Some of the some of the materials even we use are, have been written by them. You know, they have old missionary names on them, and we're and we're just recycling their stuff. Mm-hmm. How uh, you mentioned earlier that the the community, you know, the 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 uh, community is uh, predominantly Muslim. How are you received there? In the community, uh, a pastor from the the United States, a pastor and his wife from the United States, moving into Tamale and traveling around parts of Ghana. How are you received in in the community beyond the church? Yeah, um, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, first, let me say, Ghanaians themselves are incredibly welcoming people. They they're the most gracious, welcoming people I've ever met in my life. They're glad anyone's there to come and help, and and so there's a certain amount of that. But even in Islam, um, there is not a, a hostility, as I said. Um, my next-door neighbor, we have a short wall between my neighbor and myself. He is not only a Muslim, he is a haji. He has made the hajj, you know, to Mecca uh, on, uh, you know, uh, the famous... Uh, pilgrimage. Pilgrimage, yeah. thank yeah. you. Right. Uh, and uh, he's, he's a very devout Muslim, he and his wife both. And yet... Um, 
I, I unfortunately had a, a pulmonary embolism happen to me while I was there. It happened in the middle of the night. At 3 in the morning, I was outside my house. I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't drive my car to the hospital. My wife didn't know how to drive the car. Uh, you know, at the, I've learned since. <laughs> yeah, and he got out of his bed, hopped my wall, and drove me to the hospital, took my wife by the hand, and led her around the hospital to do the things that needed to be done. So, you know, he's incredibly welcoming. My my night guard is a Muslim, uh, and uh, he's a very he's a great man. And and we try to share Christ with these people in our everyday life with them, just by being kind and loving and showing the love of Jesus to them. I mean, we'd love to be able to say, "Sit down and let me tell you about Jesus," but you know. You have to do it gently, mm-hmm. and so we do it whenever we have opportunity. Now, I'm sure when you said night guard, everyone, uh, and many of our listeners are thinking, okay, what is uh, what does he mean by night guard? What do you have uh, someone who who sits on watch? Yeah, we we have a you know Ghana has security issues. I mean, it's not it's not a dangerous country, but but uh, you you need to have a house that's a bigger house, a house that says. Well, these people have some sort of money to a certain extent. I mean, I'm, you know, we're not rich, but by their standards, we're we're filthy rich, um, and so we do. We have guards uh, that that uh, watch our house, and and he. I you know I don't want to give the impression that he stays up all night and watches. As a matter of fact, I know he doesn't. I know he sleeps right on my front porch by my door, uh, and he gets up every so often during the night and circles my house and just makes sure everything is okay. And and uh, we've been very blessed. We've had no break-ins since we've been there. Uh, my neighbors have, but I have the best night guard in the world. <laughs> I'm serious. He's he's a wonderful, nice man, but I would not want to oppose him. <laughs> so he. he he does his job well. He does his job very well. That, and I've I've talked with other missionaries and those who who've served in Ghana or are serving in Ghana, and this is a this is pretty common to to have someone uh, whose job is to to make sure that your home is safe. Yes, it is. Uh, and we even have a day guard too. So, mm-hmm. and their job is, you know, also to kind of take care of the grounds and. Mm-hmm open up the doors for us when we drive the car out and that sort of thing, you know, that's, that's helpful. So, well, you mentioned just having a short wall, you know, between you and your neighbor, how would you describe the, a typical homestead in Ghana? Oh, you know, a typical house of a typical Ghanaian is, is oftentimes a mud brick, uh, building with a mud brick wall around it with maybe a thatched roof on one of the houses and maybe some zinc roof on, on the other houses. And, and uh, you know, that compound is used for cooking and for family uh, interactions is where they eat, it's where they live. They, they, Ghanaians are inside only to sleep basically. And, uh, and so they're very much, to me, kind of feels like we're on a camp out. <laughs> That's what it feels <laughs> like to me. Like you're just on this long camp out. <laughs> and, and, uh, a camp out where you get to, as you said, have, uh, fellowship, the, the, the get togethers, the gathering around meals and that sort of thing. Where does that typically take place? In the compound. In the compound. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what, uh, who have you gotten to know? Who have, who have you had an opportunity to share meals with? 
You know, um, it's very familial. You know, I mean, it's very family oriented, and, and to get invited in is is not real common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I will greet my neighbor maybe as he's eating, but you know, he he does not ask me to come over and share food with him. And it's it's not a slight. It's just it's what it's how they do it. First of all, a lot of these people are very poor, and they can't. Afford. I mean, they're barely feeding themselves, and they don't ask us over. But I, I've gone. I've been invited into some houses in Bentiri and, and uh, some other places where I've been able to share a meal with people. And it's always a blessing. You know, when they serve you a meal, they give you the best part. And uh, and and then, you know, we... When you're eating, you have to think about leaving the food because what you leave behind is what the children get. So, mm. you know, you don't want to clean your plate. <laughs> I see. So that that's certainly something valuable to understand culturally, too, because in some cultures to leave food behind would be to imply right. that the food wasn't right. good. That right. you didn't well, enjoy. that's it. That's part of it, too. You have to leave some, but not too much, because I left too much because I just wasn't hungry and I insulted the wife that, you mm. know, I wasn't eating enough of her food. So you kind of have to get a balance in there. That must be difficult to try to figure out that balance. How much is is enough to feed the kids, but not enough to insult them. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So what have you been learning about uh, life in Ghana that uh, what are some of the things that that you've learned that that you've embraced about this new culture that you're living in? Oh gee, <laughs> you know, it, it's a little bit is that life's life's harder. Mm-hmm. You know, it, life is harder, and and we've kind of come to understand that 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 when you're living there, you just have to understand uh, it's not like America that you can go to the store and pick up the ground meat and them and and whatever side dishes and your vegetable. You can't do that. Everything is harder, and so you have to give yourself a little bit more leeway and understand that. It's going to take you longer to get things done and and you have to be uh, a little slower <laughs> you know and so we we've tried to be a little more patient that's one thing i'm not always the best at i like to get things done uh but um but you have to kind of embrace that and you know you have to think in terms of their culture um, simple things like you do, you don't hand something to someone with the left hand. I'm always doing that. My poor, my good wife is always saying, right hand, right hand, right hand <laughs> to me. You know, smacking him. <laughs> and because uh, like I've actually handed somebody something with my left hand, and most of them are very interesting because you know you're white, so they understand you're not one of them. But one lady was actually very miffed at me that I handed it with her with my left hand, and I you know I apologized. I'm sorry, and I. I handed it to her. That's that's insulting in that culture, it is it is. not? Yeah, it is. it's a cleanliness thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the the right hand is the clean hand, right? Yes. Right, right hand's yeah. clean hand. <laughs> Don't use your left hand uh, for 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 greeting anyone or for for handing no. off anything. Pretty much no. anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you come back to America and and you go through a drive-through where everything's handed on the left, you know, at a McDonald's and. You're so used to it. You're reaching over with your right. And you're like, oh, I can do this here. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, What have been some other uh, cha- things that have been challenging to, uh, to uh, adapt to in a different culture um, from your perspective, Suzanne? Um, gosh. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a culture thing. It's um, just getting used to living in a different environment. It's very dusty. Mm-hmm. We, um, 
we have no hot water, so you got to boil water for the dishes. You take cold showers all of the time. Um, like you said, everything takes longer. Um, we've got a dual washing machine where you have to wash on one side and rinse on the other, and there's no dryer, and um, you have to bleach your vegetables. So it's just, yeah. I really? Mean, everything is just more involved mm-hmm. it takes you longer and it's my understanding that that fresh produce in general is is not nearly as prevalent or as common as it is here in the united states it's I'm, not like you walk through grocery stores like we do here and it's just abundant no no but there is what they have there is a lot of it i mean you see tomatoes everywhere oh, and really? onions everywhere they don't have the wide variety mm-hmm. i mean they've got carrots they've got um what do we green call peppers. them? Pears. Oh, well, oh, green peppers, avocado, avocado um, pineapples. They have apples. Um, I mean, it's it's there. What they have, they have a lot of each thing. Mangoes and, in season. And it's funny, you know, some things like that. We miss things from America, but like the tomatoes, the onions, the bananas are so much better than over here in America. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably, uh, I, are they grown right there in, in the, the community or their surrounding communities? There are, a lot of it comes down from Burkina Faso too. Uh-huh. So, so they're, they're probably, you know, here in the United States, so many, so much of our produce is, is shipped in from other countries right. that it has right. to be picked before it's really ripe. Right. right. And it ripens off the vine. Yeah. So you it doesn't these, have the nutrients. You see these trucks of tomatoes and they're all red and they look like they should be getting squished, you know, because mm-hmm. you know they're ripe and they've got, I mean, it looks like 500 pounds of tomatoes in one little box, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, any new dishes that uh, that that you found that you, any new cuisine there that, that you really like? My favorite would be Red Red. It's a plantain you describe it you're better at cooking it's like black eyed peas that they cook and they put um red palm nut oil into it at the end and then they cook plantains and red palm nut oil which is why they call it red red and so you have these fried plantains and these beans mixed together it's very delicious it is it's very good it's that and we like something called wache it's it's a rice bean combination meal they serve it usually with some chicken or goat or something like that um, is there anything else? You, I like banku. It's and you a, like the mm. tilapia. Yeah, the banku and tilapia I like a lot. They have really good tilapia. Tilapia is a fish that's, you know, caught all over Africa. Uh, banku is a is a starch that's made from corn that's been fermented, so it has this kind of twang to it. And uh, it's just really good to eat it with the tilapia and the hot pepper sauce. It's very delicious. Now, I've heard it's an acquired taste, though, with banku. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> you it, either it, like it or you don't. Yeah, 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 yeah it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, for those, we just have about uh, about two minutes left. For those who are thinking about serving as missionaries in the future, you know, thinking this might be something for us, what would what words of uh, of encouragement or discouragement? <laughs> what words might you share with them as they're thinking about that and 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 praying about perhaps serving in the future? You know, when we pray, "Thy kingdom come, Lord," we have to remember that the answer to that prayer lies also with us. You know that that God's kingdom comes when we uh, proclaim God's word and its truth and purity, and we live according to it. And so, um, they if they're thinking about mission work. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit leading them, that thy kingdom come needs to move from where they are to wherever God wants to place them on the field. And I say to people who really want to do that, 
Be ready to be flexible. Things change. Mm-hmm. Things change a lot. Daily, hourly, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it. my initial contact was to do something totally different than what I'm doing. In East Africa. Yeah, in East Africa. Now I'm in West Africa doing something totally different. And, <laughs> and, and so you have to be open to change. It, uh, it, it certainly happens. It sounds like almost daily, especially with as much as you're traveling and, and those you're serving, uh, those those men that you're raising up and, and training as leaders uh, to be pastors in their, their congregation, serving in their community. I can see how that would change frequently. Yeah. We are just about all out of time. I, I want to point our listeners to uh, to your page on lcms.org as well. lcms.org slash caster, K-A-S-T-E-R. You can find out more about the caster family there and how they're serving the Lord in Ghana, West Africa. Uh, I just love sharing these stories. We'll post it on our website as well, and so folks can go back and download uh, your story and listen to it there as well and share it with others. The the Reverend Dale Castor, thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you. We Su- appreciate the honor. Suzanne Castor, thanks so much for being my guest and, and sharing about your new life in Ghana. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.